0: Welcome to the Linder Farm Network Field Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lemke. Livestock producers know that animal health is their first priority. Minnesota farmers and ranchers have an asset on their side in the Board of Animal Health. The board's mission is to protect the health of the state's domestic animals through education and cooperation with veterinarians, producers, owners, and communities. Today, we're joined by Nicollet Farmer and Board of Animal Health President, Dean Compart. First and foremost, as uh, you know, president of the Board of Animal Health, what is it that the, the board's role is uh, through uh, throughout Minnesota?
1: Well, the board's role is to protect the health uh, of domestic animals in the state to determine and uh, employ the most efficient and practical means of prevention, suppression, and uh, control and eradication of dangerous and contagious diseases, um, and that's across all uh, the domestic animals that we have here in the state of Minnesota.
0: So, who makes up the board? What uh, what kind of a uh, yeah. representation but, is there?
1: There, we have five members on the board. Um, it's three producer positions and two veterinary positions. Um, Dr. Jessica Fox. Uh, she serves as one of the veterinarians. She has a pretty unique background in um, in her areas of expertise. She's been involved with aquaculture. Um, uh, some cervid uh, type stuff, uh, cervid being deer and elk type farms. Um, Dr. Uh, Peggy Hawkins, who's from Northfield, Minnesota. She's uh, works uh, primarily her expertise has been in swine. She has done some small animal and then uh, has done a lot more recently in research. She's employed with a group over in uh, Northfield that does some, um, you know, some extensive research and uh, rolling out some new products uh, other, other people myself being a swine producer um, and then a uh, Erica Sawatsky she would be a poultry turkey turkey producer from about a fourth or fifth generation family uh, over in uh, in the west central part of the state and then uh, uh, mr. Jim Votts who's a retired uh, crop farmer and has uh, had some experience raising uh, some sheep and some uh, cattle as well as uh, pigs at one time. So uh, so that pretty much, it's not a very large board. Uh, just recently in the 2021 legislative session, um, the legislature uh, deemed it uh, necessary or felt that we needed to expand the board. Um, they added additional person, uh, which has not been filled as of yet. And that person is uh, to be selected as a producer of livestock from a nationally recognized indian tribe and uh, so that will be the sixth person uh, on the board of animal health so once that person has been selected and, and brought on board will be a board of six
0: what uh, was interesting to you about uh, that board
1: yeah well i was encouraged by i was involved with an organization called the minnesota livestock breeders it's another organization that dates back to the to the late 1800s actually and uh, Uh, I've been on that board for a long time. In fact, uh, my folks and then my brothers and I have been inducted into their Livestock Hall of Fame. They they had urged me uh, as a position opened up on the board to apply for that position and I did. And, uh, you know, with having kind of a unique perspective with that organization, you know, we worked with people who were in the horse industry, sheep industry. um, swine, beef, dairy, you name it, and, and the, the various breeds that are within those different species of livestock have representation, representation to the board. So so it kind of gave me a pretty broad exposure to, um, you know, people who uh, animal health is very important to. Um, my involvement with the family breeding stock business is something, too, that, you know, I remember being a little boy and going out and helping uh, carry stainless steel pails for doc Martin's uh when we were vaccinating for a disease known as fog cholera that was eradicated probably when i was maybe five or six years old and i i remember going out and helping with that and I always kind of look forward to the time when the vets would come or the vet would come out and that was kind of your uh, you you you'd learn a lot you know you'd listen to what he'd talk about and some of the things that they're that they're dealing with and and that continues to this day to be a form of educational material, I guess, where you get a lot of it is, you know, from uh, herd vet visits and so forth, they can help bring some experience and some knowledge, uh, you know, to uh, your operation uh, while they're going through your farm and and, uh, seeing some of the things that maybe you're uh, dealing with
0: obviously with a, a wide range of uh, diseases, also, you know, different breeds of animals and poultry and that sort of thing. And, um, I, I'm, I'm guessing that biosecurity as a whole has certainly, uh, risen to the forefront in most, um, animal agriculture operations.
1: Yep. That's correct. Uh, you know, we've dealt with, uh, Oh, you take back in, uh, well, pseudorabies. you know, that was a disease in pigs that our family experienced, uh, And and there was a lot of disease methods that you implemented in order to be able to break the disease cycle that was going on uh, with pseudorabies. And, um, you know, you look at a modern livestock production, even in the the poultry industry today, it's not uncommon to have them uh, uh, have, oh, benches where you will change clothes. uh, You will uh, wash and uh, try to cut down or eliminate uh, any. Uh, exposure to something that you might have come in contact outside of the building that you would bring into the building and expose the animals to. Um, and, and in the pig industry, of course, that's something that's uh, that's huge, uh, practiced virtually on every farm. It's not uncommon to see shower in, shower out facilities and, and so forth. And so, uh, so yeah, it's changed a lot over the years, but a lot of that comes from our experience and um, from science, you know, tells us that if we do these things, we can break uh, these disease cycles a little bit like COVID, what we're going through now, you know, the washing of hands and, and that type of thing uh, plays a very critical role in breaking the chain of uh, infection. And uh, you do all these things and you help reduce, you know, you maybe can't say you totally eliminate it, but, but you're going to reduce the, the, the potential for exposure.
0: Now, obviously, we're watching intently around the world as African swine fever, certainly a couple of years ago, decimated the, uh, the swine herd in China. And there's been uh, outbreaks in other parts of the world so far, not been uh, something that's occurred here in the United States. But I'm assuming that you guys are watching that closely. And, and I know that there's uh, some, some risks or some threats inching a little bit closer to the U.S. Tell me about what's happening in, in uh, the African swine fever front.
1: Right, right. Um, Yes, uh, Dominican Republic, um, Virgin Islands uh, have found African swine fever to be there. They have had uh, clinical signs of it. Um, The U.S. has uh, primarily from a federal level uh, sent people from uh, different states down to help them uh, set up some testing capabilities to be able to monitor um, because testing is such an important part of trying to follow through on a disease uh, elimination program. You have to have tests that are re- relevant, um, that you can turn around quickly so that decisions can be made. And so we are working with them, trying to do uh, some of those measures that they're gonna need as well as uh, you know eliminating or yeah, basically eliminating some of the uh, movement of items that could potentially carry it or foods that might carry it uh, back into this country. So it's, uh, and, and I know you take uh, some of the things that have been done on the national level with these beagle uh, dogs that uh, are trained to uh, sniff out some of these different uh, food items that some of the some ethnic groups might bring in and think nothing of it, but could har- very easily harbor those diseases inside of, of food. And so, uh, so that's something that uh, Homeland Security uh, spends a lot of time um, and is, plays a really critical role in trying to keep foreign animal disease out of the US.
0: And then as far as you know, avian influenza, obviously a number of years ago, we had outbreak in uh, Minnesota and uh, not something that folks want to relive by any stretch, but uh, what happens there? I understand that there's you know, certainly some, some natural challenges to uh, trying to, uh, to manage and, and keep track of, of that uh, disease in particular. Right.
1: And this is where like uh, the states uh, would state uh, and a board of animal health agencies or their equivalents. You know, they would work with people on the federal level and the federal people like the um, would be doing monitoring of the movement of birds that would be in some of these different flyways through the central part of the U.S. We have what's called the Mississippi Flyway. But on the East Coast, it's the Atlantic Flyway, West Coast, the Pacific Coast Flyway. And birds will migrate, uh, you know, from south to north in the spring. They will uh, potentially cross paths with birds that don't normally uh, would would normally be found in our hemisphere, but they still can overlap and uh, give disease uh, to them. And so then we have to be very vigilant in um, what is coming south, uh, you know, as fall. Uh, arrives and right now over in Europe, there's uh, quite a bit of high path even influenza, you know, in Europe. And so we uh, are really heightening our, um, well, I think they test like 6,000 animals a year uh, in some of these flyways to monitor, to see if they find anything. You know, it's not uncommon to find low path even influenza is kind of endemic in the wild uh, migratory birds, but the high path is the one that is of the greatest concern Um, And so that's, uh, yep, so that's done kind of on a national level. And again, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting how it it, it makes its way south and then goes north and gets in a location where come next year, we need to really, uh, you know, heighten our biosecurity measures. And I think that's kind of where, uh, you know, where where we're at uh, uh, in this upcoming, uh, probably, you know, year 12 to 18 months.
0: And you mentioned in, endemic, uh, which avian influenza can be the low path. And you also uh, end up dealing with uh, chronic wasting, which uh, you and I had chatted before about the fact that um, there, there are concerns in, in farm deer populations with that, but that's actually a disease that is, uh, you know, native, natural, I guess, uh, to the wild as well. Touch on that if you would.
1: Yes. Um, yep. Southeastern Minnesota, we have, uh, um, you know, CWD is more prevalent or has been found uh, uh, down in that part of the state. And of course, uh, you know, CWD originally uh, was found in uh, Wisconsin and then in northeast Iowa back about 2002, I believe it was. And, and so it's not probably surprising that we would find it in southeastern Minnesota when you have proximity to it in the wild. And, and, uh, and of course, deer move. And I think deer, you'd be surprised how far deer can move you know some deer have moved in collared deer studies 70 to 120 miles uh, depending on what state study you look at and so so they clearly they get around and and prions are are not like a virus prions are going to be a protein that uh has an incredible desire to survive it's uh, it takes like uh i believe it's 1800 degrees to deactivate a prion i think it's like 900 degrees over an extended period of time uh can can deactivate these prions but it's just these are kind of temperatures and conditions we really don't subject things to. And so to think that, you know, and and especially with the CWD, you can have a perfectly healthy, normal looking animal that can be uh, um, shedding these prions. And you have no reason to think that he's a sick animal at all. And all of a sudden, he expresses disease and sickness and uh, in a relatively short period of time, will succumb to the disease. And at that point in time, you realize you have a problem, you know, it's, it's kind of like if, you uh, if, uh, uh COVID, um, we like CWD, we would just now be in start understanding that we have disease, you know, and so that's makes it a really a challenge because there's not a live animal test. Um, there's not um, a, a good surveillance method that we can use at this point. And so there's some things that are being worked on that could be uh, very, very important for being able to better deal with the disease. But right now, you know, we have our hands uh, tied on some on some on some things until we get some breakthroughs in technology.
0: So, as far as information on any sort of the recommendations for uh, um, management or that sort of thing, where should folks go to find out a, a good source of a good clearinghouse of information? Does the Board of Animal Health have a website that has that information, or where can folks go? Yes.
1: Yep. Yep. The board of animal health has a website that you can go to. Um, you can go, you can click on some different uh, species, different diseases. Um, there's uh, also, you know, talking to a local veterinarian uh, is probably a good place to start. If you're dealing with, uh, with animals is to have a relationship with a local veterinarian and they can uh, certainly answer a lot of questions that you might have. But if it gets to a point where, you know just like recently we had a disease known as rabbit hemorrhagic viral disease that uh two animals were found up in ramsey county to have two rabbits and uh, and so something as innocent as is that uh can get into the wild population and it is in the wild population in the southwestern part of the country in the arizona california uh that that area and it uh it causes death and uh Could be very, very, uh, very hard on, um, you know, the rabbit industry, rabbit population, not just, you know, pet rabbits, but also rabbits in the wild. And so, so, uh, so that's something that has just kind of come to, uh, to light here in Minnesota in the last uh, probably six months. And and in fact, they've already uh, kind of sped up and uh, did an emergency vaccine has been uh, made and made available and some uh, rabbit breeders in the state have already started to vaccinate for that so uh, so yeah these uh, these challenges come in all sizes and shapes and, uh, and in all species and so it's uh, makes for the board has to have but uh, wear many hats um, that's for sure
0: well, excellent, Dean. I appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for what you and the board do. Uh, obviously, livestock uh, uh, industry is incredibly important, not only for the uh, the producers themselves, but the many other industries that uh, rely on, the, on them, the crop farmers, uh, transportation, processing, and, and obviously consumers as well. So uh, uh, thanks for what you guys do. Hey,
1: appreciate it. Enjoy it. And uh, certainly something I've learned a great deal since I've been on the board. It's been, it's been very enjoyable to, to serve on the board
0: Thanks for joining us on Field Talk. Visit LinderFarmNetwork.com for all of our podcasts and for our newsletter. And be sure to tune in to your local Linder Farm Network affiliate.